Hello, thank you for joining the Camden First Assembly broadcast. We are so excited to share the Word of God with you today, believing that this Word is exactly what He has for your life. So, stay tuned for today's message, and as always, remember, there's a place for you at Camden First Assembly. Matthew chapter 5. This is a very familiar passage for many people, even those that haven't necessarily grown up in church or spent a lot of time in church, but Matthew chapter 5 is known as the Sermon on the Mount or the Beatitudes. And this is where Jesus shares some very profound, very, very impactful revelation uh, for, for us as followers of Jesus, for us as disciples of Jesus. And the revelation that God shares with us, I believe, is so timely for the season that we find ourselves in of, of where God has called us to and what God has positioned us to. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to entitle this um, series, uh, Living the Blessed Life. Living the blessed life. How many of you want to live the blessed life? Amen? Yes, me too. Um, I want to live the blessed life. Jesus said it in John 10.10. Many of you know that's my favorite verse. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and life more abundantly. God did not call us to walk through this life living as woe is me. God did not call us to live in this life with the attitude uh, of, 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 of barely surviving. God calls us out of darkness into life to experience the perfect peace of God which guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus, which opens the way for us to experience the abundant life that God has purposed for us. It does not mean that we will not have trials. It does not mean that we will not have tribulations. It does not mean that we will not face difficulty. But it means that in all of that, we have a hope we have a promise that can never perish, spoil, or fade. And that in those situations, we respond not according to how we feel, not according to what we think, not according to the wisdom and the understanding and the knowledge of this world, but according to what the Word of God and the revelation of the Holy Spirit is for us as His people. And when we respond God's way, we open the door for God to move, to make impossible things possible, and to bring about the fulfillment of His will and His plan for our lives. Amen? So I want, to share, I want to share this with you because in, in Matthew chapter 5, there's this, uh, there's this powerful revelation that Jesus gives us uh, in the Beatitudes because God intends, God desires, God wants more than we want for us to live a blessed life. God wants more than you and I want. God wants more than you and I want for us to live a blessed life. God wants us to experience the blessings that he has for us. So Jesus, in verse number 1 of Matthew chapter 5, it says, One day as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him and he began to teach them. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for Him. Uh, I want to I want to share I want to share just a couple of uh, I want to share a couple of truths and and as we do that uh, can we just can we ask the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts today to reveal in us His Word and bring about the transformation that we need Heavenly Father I thank you for your presence. God, I thank you for your Holy Spirit that's moving in this place and in the places of those that are joining us online. I thank you for your word, God, the bread of life, Lord, which brings transformation and change. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would eliminate every distraction right now in the name of Jesus. Lord, if our minds are consumed with worry, if our minds are consumed with the burdens, God, with the trials, with the things that are happening in our life, we lay them at your feet right now. God, help our minds, help our attention, help our ears, help our spirits to be 
fixed on you. Jesus, you are the author and the perfecter of our faith. And so, Lord, we fix our attention on you right now. And we ask that, Holy Spirit, you would come. Holy Spirit, speak to us. Bring the revelation. Bring the truth, God, that we need today so that we may walk in the fullness of your word and the revelation that you've established for us. God, we give you the glory, honor, and praise. We give you our hearts, our minds, our time, and our attention because you're worthy of it all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. So I want to talk to you about these three verses. I'm, I'm going to start off with these three. Next week, it may be one, it may be two. We're just going to go with the flow of how God wants to do this. Um, I haven't forgotten about the Gifts of the Spirit series that I want to do. Uh, Austin asked me the other day, he was kidding, but he asked me the other day, he said, are you afraid to preach on the Gifts of the Spirit because you'll go back to the hospital? And Because uh, if you remember, we, we had just started that series, and then I blew up. And uh, basically, that's what happened. And so I said, I said, we laughed about it. Of course, he knew that wasn't actually how I felt about it. And I said, no. I said, I just believe that the Lord is doing some other things. God's showing us some other things uh, before we dive into uh, that revelation. And I believe that this message, this series on living a blessed life is what God is is stirring on our hearts in preparation for what he's called us to because God has called all of us to share the gospel God has shared all of us to be carriers of the good news how many of you love good news I love good news I love good news if somebody comes to me and says I have good news and I have bad news which do you want to hear first I always want to hear the good news in fact keep the bad news I don't want to hear it amen I don't want to hear. Just give me the good news. I just want the good news. We love good news, right? Austin and Haley shared good news with us last week. They were so excited. She was so excited, she couldn't keep it to herself. She was telling everybody that morning before they even had a chance to tell the whole church. They were so excited. When you have good news, you love to share it with people. We have good news. <laughs> we have the Savior of the world, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who has saved us, redeemed us, called us out of darkness into light. We've got a reason to rejoice. We've got a reason to celebrate, even in life's trials, even in life's difficulties, because we have Jesus. I got good news to share with you. If you're feeling hopeless, if you're feeling like you are constantly walking in defeat, if you feel like you are constantly walking overwhelmed, overburdened, overwearied by what's going on in life and what's going on in the world, I have an answer for you, and his name is Jesus. Because even when the world's falling apart, there's this peace that surpasses all understanding. Even when your world is turned upside down, there's this peace that guides you because your life is built on the solid rock, the firm foundation. So when the winds are raging, when the storm is raging, you are not moved, you're not shaken, as the word says, because your life is fixed and founded on him. We've got, we've got good news to share. And not only that, but God has called us to live a blessed life. God wants to bless you. Jesus mentions it in the word. He says, you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more does your father in heaven give good gifts to those who love him? Because God wants to bless you. God wants to bless me. God wants us to walk in the blessings and the purposes and the promises of what he's established. One of the things that used to always bug me is when people would say that, uh, that money is the root of all evil. Money is not the root of all evil. In fact, you will find out very quickly in this life when you become an adult that you need money. <laughs> Lately, we need a lot more of it. I was taught, we were talking about it in the foyer this morning. I thought, my heavens, do you know that the three air conditioners that we just purchased cost $9,000 more than they would have three years ago? 
$9,000 more, I should be able to buy five HVAC units for what I'm paying for three today. Now, here's the deal. If we're not careful, do you know what begins to happen? We begin to fixate on our frustration instead of on the one who provides. Because here's the deal. God is not moved by the economy of the United States of America. God is not moved by the banking systems, by the stocks, by the bonds, by the investments, by the stock market. God's not moved by any of that. So as God's people, neither should we. Because we follow the Lord. It says those who love Him, God wants to give good gifts. God wants to bless. The love of money is the root of all evil, not money. You'll find that, in fact, if you read and you study and you take a deep look at the children of Israel in the Old Testament, that God actually brought them to the promised land and lavished the blessings of heaven upon them, that they were actually very wealthy financially speaking, because of the blessings of God that were on their life. Now hear me, if the pursuit of God is about what you can get from Him, you'll never get anything from Him. That's not how He works. But if your pursuit is God, no matter what is going on in the world, you will experience the overflow of God's blessing and His provision and His goodness in every season. I'm not saying there won't be tight seasons. I'm not saying there won't be tight moments. I'm not saying that there won't be trials and that there won't be tests. But if you take the word of God and you follow it wholeheartedly, you'll reap the blessings and the overflow that God has. I want to live the blessed life. I want to live in the blessings and the provision and the goodness of God. I believe most of us do. Who doesn't want to be blessed? Who doesn't want to experience the overflow that God has? Who doesn't want to experience the floodgates of heaven being opened up and God pouring out so much blessing that there's not enough room for us to store it? Have you ever, out, have you ever run out of room to store the blessings of God? Hmm. Me either. But I can't wait. God calls us to experience the blessed life, but there's a process to that. In fact, the word blessed, if you read it in the Greek, if, as it's translated in the Greek, the word blessed, if you take it in, in, the, in the different contexts and the different forms of what Jesus is talking about, in the original, it means happy. In Greek, it means happy. But when you take it within the context of the message that Jesus is talking about, the Greek word for blessed that is actually written there is fully satisfied fully satisfied. There is a craving, a natural craving in our lives, in our flesh, to always want more. You ever realize that? We always want more. We, we get to a certain point, we reach a certain place, we reach the certain goal of what we have in mind, of what we think we will, uh, we will arrive at that happiness. Like, life is all about being happy. All the ads that, that are presented to you are how much happier your life is going to be if you purchase the product that's being sold to you. You're going you're gonna to be happier with your clothes if you buy them from here. You're going to be happier with your makeup if you buy it from there. You're going to be happier with your food if you buy it from here. You're going to be happier with this if you buy this. You're going to be happier. You're going to be happier. Why? Because in life, we are driven by how we feel. We are driven by our feelings. 
And the Lord knows that. The enemy also knows that. So if we're not careful, we will begin pursuing happiness over what God has called us to because we think that if I achieve or I reach or I merit happiness, then I'll be satisfied. But the problem is, is that we reach the end goal that's been set before us and we're not content, we're not satisfied because our satisfaction is not found in the things of this world. There is not enough money in the world to satisfy you. If you don't believe that, look at the billionaires of the world and how many of them are still striving and working to try to make more. Why? Because they've reached the top and it's still not enough. Why? Because satisfaction is not found in the things that this world has to offer. Satisfaction is not found in the things that this world has. The only satisfaction that we will ever find in our life where we are truly satisfied, where we are truly content, is in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only thing that satisfies. The God-shaped hole in every single one of our hearts. We've heard pastors talk about it. We've talked about it. Many of us have shared that. Like there's just this thing that, that only when you have Jesus do you find that true peace, that true joy, that true happiness. Why? Because He's the only one that satisfies. Jesus said, the ble- blessed are those... Blessed are those. This is his sermon. Blessed are those. Basically, that word blessed is extremely blessed, overwhelmingly blessed. But what he's saying in that is they are overwhelmingly satisfied. Because God not only meets the needs of our life, but he blesses us even beyond the needs of our life because of something. Right? We talk about the floodgates of heaven being opened up and and God pouring out blessings so much that there's not room enough to store that. But what's that tied to? Malachi chapter 3, verse number 10. Bring me your whole tithe, God says. 10%. Your whole tithe. Bring me your whole tithe. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw it. Why? Because God is wanting to bring us closer to Him. God is wanting to draw us closer to Him. So in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus sees that the crowd is gathered, so He goes up and He has a seat and He begins to teach, and He says this, you will be fully satisfied, you will experience the blessings and the overflow of what God has for you when you realize, when you realize your need. I I love this in and in the, in the King James Version or New King James Version, it says, uh, blessed are the, the, the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. What happens in, that, in the breakdown of that word, the poor in spirit that Jesus is talking about, is he's not talking about those who are poor. Some of us are like, I, I relate, I'm poor. I feel poor after I went to Walmart this last week. I'm like, oh, Lord, I feel it, Right? But the poor that Jesus is talking about is not that kind of poor. There's there's two definitions in the Greek of poor. There's a poor that is a helplessness, and there is a poor that is able to help oneself. See, there's, there's a difference when I'm able to do something on my own in order to merit or in order to achieve the end goal that's been presented. But the reality is, is that what Jesus is talking about is those who realize that they are poor in spirit, those who realize that they are helpless. Helpless. Tell your neighbor, you're helpless. You're helpless. (laughs) How rude. I cannot believe pastor just told me to tell you that you're helpless. Some of the parents are like, I've been trying to tell this kid that for so long. 
we are helpless. Spiritually, we are helpless. We are helpless. Yet we spend so much of our lives trying to help ourselves. Mm. Jesus, this, this is what I love about the Sermon on the Mount. This is what I love about the Beatitudes. They build on each other. So Jesus starts at the very beginning. He starts at the very beginning. You will not experience true satisfaction. You will not be truly satisfied, fully satisfied, until you realize your need for the Lord. You will not be truly satisfied until you realize that you are poor in spirit, that you are helpless on your own. You are helpless on your own. Man. God's not talking about the condition or the circumstance of our life. He's talking about the present place of where we are at spiritually with God. Where am I at with the Lord? Have I self-evaluated with God? And recently, have I been living as spiritually helpless, fully dependent and solely relying upon God? Or have I been trying to do this on my own? Do you know how easy it is for us to start doing this thing called following Jesus on our own? Oh, it's a dangerous thing. Why? Because without God, we're never satisfied. So here's the deal. If I don't realize that I'm spiritually helpless, I can spend Devo time every single day. But if the attitude of my heart and the attitude of my mind has not recognized that I cannot do this thing called life, that I cannot experience the blessings of God, that I cannot experience the revelation, the truth of what God has for me until I realize that I'm spiritually helpless, then I will go through the motions and never receive the revelation that brings transformation in my life. I will show up to eat at the table, but never be satisfied. I will show up to the table and I will read the word of God and I'll get nothing from it. I'll pray and get nothing from it. I'll come to church and worship and I'll get nothing from it. And what will happen if I'm not careful is I will slowly begin to drift further and further from making time with God a priority, reading his word, spending time in prayer, spending time fasting, spending time gathering... Gathering. Hebrews chapter 10 says, Don't forsake assembling together. Don't forsake gathering together, as some are in the habit of doing. But encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Jesus is coming back. There's something that happens when I gather with the saints of God. There's something that happens when I show up to the table, but I don't show up being convinced that I've got this figured out on my own. I can't work enough jobs, I can't get enough raises, I can't inherit enough money, I cannot come up with enough strategies, I can't come up with a number of different ways, I can't do enough on my own to ever achieve the satisfaction that is only found in the presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The lie of the enemy, the deception of the enemy, is that somehow I can reach the fullness, the satisfaction, the blessings of God by my own merit and my own way. But the reality is, if I don't recognize that I'm helpless without the Lord, that without Jesus, I can't make it. I mean, we've heard it said, right? Well, I, could, I couldn't make it without Jesus. But do we believe it? I couldn't do this without Jesus. But do we really live with that life motto? Do we really live with that attitude of our heart and our mind that, God, I can't make it through today without you? Ooh. 
There's a shift that happens in our pursuit of God when we realize that I can't live today without God. If I go today without God, the spirit of slap is going to come all over me and I'm going to lose it. If I, if, I, if, I don't, if I don't realize that I'm helpless without the Lord, then I'm going to begin responding to situations and circumstances not based on His wisdom and His revelation and the precepts and the orders of His Word, but based on my wisdom, my understanding, my revelation. And what happens? I get myself in a mess. Again and again, Jesus says, if you want to experience the blessing, the satisfaction of what I have for you, of what God has for you, then you've got to realize that you're poor in spirit, that you're helpless. One of the greatest deceptions of the enemy is to get us to be blinded to the reality that we are not living with a helplessness mindset towards God. That God, I can't do this without you. The Lord has convicted me of this. I believe he is convicting his church of this. We can come to church and have church without the Spirit of God. Don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. We can. We can. One of the greatest problems that we've had in the Church of America, I'm not just talking about CFA, I'm talking about the Church in America, is that we have gotten so good at doing church that if the Holy Spirit didn't show up, we would say, man, wasn't that a great service today? And if we're not careful, we'll do the same thing in our own lives. And walk spiritually bankrupt of the blessings that God has for us because the attitude of our heart, the attitude of our mind is not, God, I am helpless without you. The thing that I have repented of and the thing that I have told the Lord of is that, God, if you aren't here... I don't want anything to do with it. Because there's one thing that changes lives, and his name is Jesus. There's one thing that turns impossible situations completely around, and it's, it's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. There's only one who heals. There's only one who saves. There's only one who delivers. There's only one who provides. There's only one who protects. There's only one who defends. There's only one who, met, who gets into the middle of the mess that is called our world today and turns it all around. There's only one who can pour out his spirit. Only one who can set us free. Only one who can pour out the blessings of heaven in our life in a way, and if he is not here, I'm not interested. I don't want to have church without the Lord. I don't want to be a Christian without Jesus. In fact, the Word says that we're not. So Jesus says, before you do anything else, before you experience anything else of what I'm about to teach, of what I'm about to tell you, and I love, I love the revelation of this. I love the truth of this. He says, you've got to realize that you're spiritually helpless. You can never achieve what God has intended, what God has purposed, what God has planned for you without Him. The beautiful thing is, is the moment that we realize that we're spiritually helpless, that we're bankrupt without God, that we'll never experience the satisfaction that He's intended for us, is when we come to that point and we repent and we realize, you know what, Lord, I have not been living a life that is totally reliant and totally dependent on You. I've not been living in a place where my heart is humbled and where I've said, okay, I'm just going to wait on God. I'm just going to wait. I'm going to wait. The verse of the Lord's been over and over in my heart is be still and know that I'm God. Over and over again. I've been practicing it in my prayer time. Have you ever, have you ever tried to be still and know that He's God? And keep your mind on the Lord? 
Be still. Just be still and know that he's God. Not, Lord, this is, this is my needs. God, this is what I have. Not, you know, I forgot. I really need to call that person. I need to answer that email. Uh, I really need to go. I need, I need to take care of this. <laughs> the Lord's had it on my heart. The Lord's been, the Lord's been teaching me that in a, in a deeper level, in a deeper way. God's been revealing that to my heart. And I love that when the Lord tries to take us into a deeper revelation and a deeper understanding of something, the enemy fights us extra hard. I was in here the other day praying. And the Lord was leading me in that, in that point of time, in my prayer time with him, to just be still and know. And I thought of everything that needed to be done in this sanctuary. I know where all the cracks in the sheetrock are. I know where every seam of the carpet's coming up. I know where every spot on the stage that you step squeaks. I noticed that the chairs were out of order. I'm a little bit OCD when it comes to that. What happens? The enemy tries to distract us from the moments of being still and knowing that he's God. And when we push past that and we wait, Lord, I'll wait. Lord, I'll wait. God begins to speak and God begins to reveal in our lives. God, I can't do this without you. Jesus, I'm spiritually helpless. I, I love this. I want to share these couple of verses and then I'll, I, want us to, I want us to take this word and, and, and put it into action. He says this in, in Psalm 51, 12, David writes, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Um, Paul writes to Timothy and, and 2 Timothy uh, well in 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse number 6 he says yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth after all we brought nothing with us when we came into the world and we can't take anything with us when we leave it so if we have enough food and clothing let us be content why? Because everything that I have is from the Lord. Everything that I have comes from the Lord. We cannot separate our lives from the Lord. God cannot be an addition to our life. He has to be our life. He has to be number one. It's why, it's why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, don't worry about your life. And he says the key to this is in verse number 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Why? Because in my pursuit of God and Him being first, the, the Ten Commandments, God makes it clear in the very beginning, love the Lord your God with, with everything that you have. Don't, don't have any other idols. We, 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 don't, we don't have idols like the Israelites had necessarily today as much as we do, you know, money, sex, jobs, all of these other things, sports, all of these other things all of these other things that become priority over the Lord. And it's because we feel this pressure in life to meet the standard that everyone else in the world is. But God says, don't live according to the standard of this world. Don't live by the pattern of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Press in. When we press in to the Lord, we experience the blessing and the overflow of what God has for us. Jesus put it like this in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. He said, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. 
if my pursuit is of the things of this world, my desires will be in the things of this world and I will not pursue the Lord. But if my desire is for the Lord and my desire is for what he has said and what he's established, then it changes my pursuit. My pursuit is no longer for me. My pursuit is no longer for the things of this world. But my pursuit is of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I, I love this. And uh, I love this in, in Matthew uh, or in Ephesians chapter two, uh, verses eight through 10. It says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he has planned for us long ago. How do I live the blessed life that God has established for me? I have to realize that satisfaction only comes through salvation. Satisfaction only comes through salvation and through the genuine pursuit of the Lord and what he has established and what he has purposed for me. Anything else in life will lead me to a state of emptiness away from what God has established. Secondly, I have to remain reliant on Christ. Tell your neighbor, rely on Christ. Rely on Christ. This is, this is why Jesus said this. This is why Jesus said this in Matthew, in Matthew chapter 19, and verse number 14. The disciples rebuked, the disciples rebuked the children that were trying to come to Jesus. And the reason for that is because uh, kids are disruptive. Kids are disruptive. How many parents in the room would agree with that statement? Kids are disruptive, right? Yeah. The, the, the parents with younger kids are like, yeah, yeah, amen. They're disruptive. They disrupt your sleep. They disrupt your chores. They disrupt the fun things in life. They, 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 they just are. They're just disruptive. Why are kids disruptive? Especially younger children. Why are they disruptive? Because they're helpless. The reason that Jude will show up in Austin and Haley's bedroom in the pitch black dead of morning and stand there creepily until they wake up <laughs> and terrify his parents is because he can't fix breakfast for himself. And it's 5.30 in the morning. Who doesn't want breakfast at 5.30? Right? There's a few of you in the room that are like, yeah, breakfast at 5.30. The rest of us are like, what? Who gets up at that time? Jesus is awake then? He never slumbers nor sleeps. That's what the Word says. I don't know how he does it. Because he's God. But why? Children are helpless. They need someone to provide for them. The problem is, is that we grow up and we begin to do things for ourselves and especially when we're blessed like we are to live in the country that we do, we just take care of things before taking the time to ask the Lord. But when we live, Jesus, Jesus says, Jesus says, let, let the children come to me. And, and not only that, but he speaks this profound revelation in one statement. He says, if you want to experience or you want to receive the kingdom of God, you have to receive it as one of these. You cannot receive the kingdom of God, the blessings, the benefits, the covenant, the promises without becoming like a child. Why? Because a child is helpless. So when I come before the Lord recognizing my helplessness, I position myself to receive the revelation, the blessings that God has for me. Lord, without you, I cannot do this. God, without you, I cannot experience what your word says, what your word promises, what your word declares. 
Salvation cannot be earned. I cannot do it on my own. It is only through Jesus Christ. I cannot inherit the kingdom of God. It is only through the blood of Jesus Christ. So how can I experience the blessing? How can I inherit the kingdom of God? How can I experience the kingdom of God in my life? By recognizing that I am poor in spirit. God, I am helpless without you. Philippians chapter 3. Verse number three, for we worship by the Spirit of God and the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort. I share that, I share that bit because of the revelation that he says there, we rely on Christ. See, according to the old covenant, you had to be circumcised. That was the sign of the covenant that God had established. Through the new covenant, the sign of the covenant was through Christ Jesus, through his blood that was shed, through having said yes to the salvation that he provides, being water baptized, following the instructions that Jesus has given us to be the disciples, to be the followers that he's called us to be. We have to rely on Christ Jesus and what he has done for us and not put any confidence in our own human effort. We have to be declared incapable, incompetent of handling our own situations. What does God say? You say, you say Pastor, I, I hear what you're saying, but, but, but that's, just not, that's just not always feasible. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. It is feasible. Because what happens when we take the matters that are the, the, biggest, the biggest things that, that we're facing, that we're dealing with, and we bring them before the Lord, if we will truly bring those to God the way that He's instructed us to, God will lead us in how to handle those. God will show us how to handle those. God will give us revelation. He'll give us insight. He'll tell us the conversations that we need to have, the people that we need to talk to, the things that we need to do that bring about the resolution, that bring about the fulfillment of His word, the fulfillment of His promise, that He is our source, that He is our provision, that He is the anchor of our souls. So how do I live the blessed life? I remain reliant on Christ. I realize that satisfaction only comes through salvation. The blessings of God only come through salvation by recognizing that I'm helpless without the Lord, that I cannot help myself. And then thirdly, by receiving the kingdom of God. How do I receive the kingdom of God? If I'm not living in that state of understanding that I'm helpless without the Lord, then I have to repent. I have to repent. David experienced this. In, in, a pretty, in a pretty major way, in a pretty dramatic way. Here David is, is, is referred to as the man after God's own heart, uh, and, and he becomes the king of Israel. He replaces King Saul, who disobeyed the Lord, who didn't follow the Lord's instructions. Uh, but we all know David wasn't perfect. David, David became comfortable in his position and in his place with the Lord and he allowed himself to become blind, blinded to the reality that he is solely dependent upon the Lord. And in doing so, he opens himself up to sin. So David has an affair with a woman that he sees bathing on a rooftop from his palace balcony. And then to cover up his affair... He has her husband sent to the front lines of battle where he's pretty much assured that his problem will be taken care of. So not only does he sin, but then he tries to cover it up by sinning even more. 
And he's blinded to the fact that he's even in sin. See, this is, this is the thing. This is, this is what I believe God is. This is what I believe that God is stirring our hearts to. My heart, your heart, the heart of his church in this season, in this hour, because God is calling us to walk in the blessings and the benefits of what he's established and carrying out his will. I believe that God is pouring out his spirit on the earth right now, but that there's an even greater outpouring that is, that is coming, that is taking place. But if we're not in the position to receive that, so the Lord's preparing us. That, that's what this is. The Lord's preparing us for that. So David is completely blinded to that. And it takes a prophet of the Lord to come to him and confront him. I, I, I have been spending a lot of time in this journey reading about these prophets. And I got to say, these guys and girls have guts. Because back in those days, if you went to the king and said, um, yeah, you're a mess. And this is what God says. The king had the authority and the power in those days to say, off with your head. And here these prophets would come in from wherever the last place was that they had been with the Lord. And they would come in and say, oh, yeah, by the way, that bed that you're in, you're just going to die there. Have a great day. And they would go. Why? Not because it was their own words, but because it's what the Lord told them to say. But it's a whole different thing when you're relying on God and not the most powerful man that's in the country that you're going before, that you're having this confrontation with. So here the prophet Nathan comes to the king and he says, let me tell you a story. And so he begins to tell him a story and he begins to use an illustration. And through the course of that illustration, the king says, well, that man should be and begins to offer judgment. And the prophet says, that man is you. Ooh. This goes to show the heart of David. This, this, is, this is what I love about this. And I'm so thankful for the revelation of this. This goes to show the heart of David. In that moment, his eyes were opened by the Lord. Mm, this is, the Holy Spirit now today is like the prophet Nathan. That wasn't the Lord, that was Siri. I don't know where Siri came from, but she needs to go. Did I say seriously? It's your iPad. His, his, his devices can't tell our voices apart. So sometimes when I say, hey, Siri, it comes on, and it's his, and it's not mine. So tell her to be quiet. <laughs> the Holy Spirit does the same thing for us that the prophet Nathan did for David. The Holy Spirit comes and says, hey... You've got this situation, you've got this pattern that you've been living by, you've got this, set, this system that you've been living by, you've got these steps that you've been taking, but it's costing you dearly because you don't even realize that what you have done is out of order with what God's Word has said. What you have done is sin. But this is what I love about the Lord. Because He knew that David's heart was for the Lord, he had a heart that was after God, God gave him an opportunity through the Holy Spirit to respond to the conviction of the Lord and receive the, the, the gift of God's grace, the gift of God's mercy, and walk still yet in the blessings and in the favor of what God has established. So today, as God's people, we have the Holy Spirit who comes to us because God loves us so much and says, hey, you've been living reliant not on me, but on yourself. You've been doing things your way, not my way. 
You haven't been praying about this. You haven't been pursuing this. You haven't been doing what I have said in my word, what I've established in my word. And I'm here to remind you today that I've called you to rely on me, to put your trust in me, to not trust in yourself, to not trust in men, to not trust in your government, to not trust in your world, to not be moved by all of those things, but to trust in me. And it's the moment that God challenges us. So what do we do? In the revelation that Jesus shared, we repent and we become reliant on the Lord, realizing that we're spiritually poor without him. I want to ask the team to come. David says this in Psalm 51. This is, the, this is his heart in that moment. He says, have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone I have sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me, but you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Then I will teach your ways to rebels and they will return to you. Forgive me for shedding blood, O oh God who saves. Then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O oh Lord, that my mouth may praise you. You do not desire a sacrifice or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O oh God. Look with favor on Zion and help her rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will be pleased with sacrifices offered in the right spirit. With burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings, then bulls will again be sacrificed on your altar. Now that was their process for worship. I don't know about you, but I'm glad that we didn't have to slaughter any animals this morning. It is hard work. Those priests had a lot, to, they had a lot of work to do. Thank you for when I was born. Don't let me complain. Amen.